Hi, it's me, Overreactor, and welcome to episode one of Official Timeout. In this episode, I'll be going over the terms found in the glossary of the WFTDA rulebook. If you're not familiar with what WFTDA is, that stands for Women's Flat Track Derby Association, and this podcast is all about roller derby and the rules of the game. I hope that it's a great resource for people who want to learn more about the rules of the game or need to like brush up on various things, all of that fun stuff. It's just a great place to learn about the rules because they can be really complicated and tricky and it's a lot about discretion and, and knowing everything so you can synthesize it into each moment as far as the referee perspective is, that is. Um, okay, well first I just want to tell you a little bit about myself. Uh, my name is Overreactor, that's two words, Overreactor, and I went to school for theater and I'm currently a theater teacher by day and I've always uh, been excited about roller derby, but it wasn't until 2015 that I finally said, okay, I am going to try this sport and I'm so glad I did. I did not start out thinking I would be a referee. I started out as a skater and I have a total hip replacement from a dancing injury from years and years ago. So I was really nervous about it, but you know, I learned how to fall properly and all that good stuff. But even still, I was too afraid to like get hit as much as the skaters do. So, um, I decided to try out being a referee, which I'm so glad I did because I absolutely love it. It's a great fit for me. I can still roller skate and have fun doing that, but I'm also involved in the sport in a different way. And a lot of leagues need referees, so there's a lot of opportunity to improve my um, skills and experience there. I was a skater for one season in 2015 and 16, and then in 2017 I started refereeing and doing the non-skating official stuff as well. I've even dabbled in announcing all around. I love everything about roller derby. So I wanted to make this podcast as a way to make the rules more accessible. So in each episode, I'll just break down the rules and just go through each section, talk about it, talk about the casebook scenarios associated with that section, and I will be reading it directly from the WFTDA.com website. So that is the plan, and we're just going to dive right into the glossary. I think this is the best place to start when talking about the rules so that we can have the best understanding of what each term means. So Let's take a quick break for a word from our sponsor, and then we'll dive right in. Hey, welcome back. I have to admit that I started recording the glossary just like going straight down in alphabetical order, reading it word for word, and trying to be as exact as possible, and it was so boring. (laughs) I was like, oh my gosh, there is no way anybody would want to listen to me reading the glossary word for word. I felt like I was in a third grade spelling class of this is the engagement zone. And I was like, oh no, I'm not doing this. So what I did is I printed out all of the terms and I organized them in a way that kind of made sense to me. You know, because when they go in alphabetical order, it's like ahead, apex jump, behind, assist, or Okay, I kind of messed up on the alphabet there, but alphabetical order didn't really tell the story and 
Anyway, so I put them together and I am just going to talk about them and what each thing is. I may be summarizing here a bit, but I trust that um, you have the resources you need to go and just verify that everything I'm saying in here is uh, adequate and up to date when you are listening to this. Okay, so basically the glossary itself goes through the most common definitions that it needs, but it does have this little caveat that any word or phrase used in the rules that are not defined in the glossary could be treated as a colloquial term and that should there be some kind of misunderstanding of what any particular term means during the game that the officials of that game will have the final consensus on whatever that word means. Okay, so the governing body is an organization that's responsible for the sanctioning of the game, or if the game is unsanctioned, then this governing body is responsible for determining the terms of the game, such as if it's a tournament or a local league, or if someone else will serve in that role. And basically, the difference between sanctioned and unsanctioned, and regulation, there's, there's a difference there that hasn't really been defined in the glossary, but to be sanctioned means that all of the scores and the penalties and the stats and all of that gets sent in to WFTDA to go to your official ranking. So that would be a sanctioned game. Now, unsanctioned is they're not following all the rules per se. Maybe um, it's more of like a fun, willy-nilly kind of silly game that they kind of just are making up with their rules on their own. That's unsanctioned, like not going by the sanctioning of WFTDA. However, regulation is very similar to sanctioned in that it follows all of the same guidelines as a sanctioned game. It's just that the paperwork is not being turned in to the WFTDA. And this is helpful for times when, like if your league is training new referees or NSOs or has new skaters that you want to give them a shot to play, like put them in a regulation game so that it's like they can get that sanctioned experience without the huge pressure of it having to be so perfect when it gets turned into the WFTDA. FTDA. Okay, so this the first few things I'll talk about are just kind of gameplay setup kind of things. So all skaters are required to wear protective gear, and this includes a helmet, mouth guard, wrist guards, elbow pads, and knee pads, so long as they provide additional protection and the skater is physically able to wear them. A skater should not be penalized if the equipment does not provide additional protection for the skater. And this would be, for instance, if a skater like skaters are required to wear wrist guards but let's say somebody had a surgery or lost their arm in battle or something what's you can't make someone wear a wrist guard if it doesn't provide additional protection you see so there's that allowance to help this uh, sport be more inclusive you know so people aren't bound by like you have to have a wrist guard no if you don't have a wrist you don't need a wrist guard like that's just the way it goes um okay so A jam is the basic unit for the play of the game. It can last up to two minutes. That's the longest a jam will go. And there are circumstances where a jam will be shorter than two minutes, which we'll get to a little bit later on. The roster is the list of skaters for the team and their identifying numbers who are eligible to play in the game. Teams are allowed to roster at this time up to 15 skaters and even though as we'll talk about in a little bit not all those skaters will be on the track at the same time that's the maximum amount of players that they can have on their roster the jammer is the skater who scores points for the team the star is the jammer helmet cover which has two stars on it one on each side so 
the skater with the helmet cover with the stars on the side, that is the one who will score the points. And it is a helmet cover, not stars painted on the helmet itself. And you'll see why in a little bit. So we have the jammer and we have another position called a blocker. And these are positional skaters who form what's known as a pack, which we'll talk about in a little bit. So up to four blockers from each team may skate per jam. One blocker per jam for each team may be a pivot blocker. What? So you can have a jammer and four blockers, but one of those four blockers can be known as a pivot. So this is what a pivot is. She's a blocker with extra abilities and responsibilities, the pivot, okay? And you know who the pivot is because of the stripe. The pivot helmet cover has one long stripe down the middle of it. So if you see the teams lining up, you'll know who the jammer is because of the star, and you'll know who the pivot is because of the stripe. So the pivot's role is really important because the pivot can take over as jammer during a star pass, which we'll explain later. So the pivot is a very important role, so just tuck that info away. Okay, so each team will have a captain. The skater, identified as captain, shall have a visible C on their body or clothing. This person will speak on the team's behalf. If a captain has not been selected or has left the game, the team may determine one at any time by informing the head referee. If a penalty is needed to be assessed to a captain, they must identify a captain immediately. So there are situations where a penalty will be assigned to the team as a whole and the captain would be the one to serve that penalty. So if there is no captain or if that captain fouled out, they need to assign a captain. Okay, so there's also something called a designated designated alternate and the captain will designate an additional person to act on the team's behalf via a visible a on their uniform or body this person would be the designated alternate this person would be a teammate a coach or a manager a team may only have one designated alternate if one has not been selected or if they have left the game the captain may designate a different alternate by informing the head referee and both of these people would be able to speak on the team's behalf during official timeouts or to talk to the head referee and so on and so forth. So speaking of head referee, the head referee. One referee will be designated as the head referee. The head referee is the ultimate authority of the game. Final say in all situations, okay? And this would be a whole other episode about each referee's role and position for the game. But when it comes down to it, whatever the head ref says goes, Okay, so now that we've talked about the kinds of people involved in the game, let's talk about how the game works. Like we said before, each team gets one jammer who scores the points and four blockers. So there's eight blockers, and of course, two of those blockers could be the pivots, one for each team. Those eight skaters form what is known as a pack, and a pack is very important to this game, okay? The pack is the largest group of inbound blockers, skating or standing in proximity that means 10 feet or 3.05 meters away from each other and it must contain members from both teams jammers are independent of this jammers are not included in the pack so players from each team must be within 10 feet of each other to form the pack and there's a whole situation on pack definition it's very in-depth and it can be tricky but for now just know that the pack is the group of blockers. You'll hear often that a skater must be upright, inbounds, and in play. 
So upright is a skater who's not considered down. Oh, okay, awesome, but what is down? Skaters are considered down if they have fallen to the ground, have either or both knees on the ground, or have both hands on the ground. After going down or falling, a skater is considered down until the skater is standing, stepping, or skating. Stationary standing skaters are not considered down, nor are skaters who are falling but have not yet met the above criteria. So if they're standing still, they're not down. They're just standing still. If they're like off balance and on one leg and like, whoa, whoa, and kind of like wobbling and like, oh my gosh, is she going to fall or is she not? They're not down until they're down. They can lose their balance all they want, but they're still not down. Okay. So standing would be a skater holding their body weight on their skates such that they are not down. And it is obvious to officials, skaters, and spectators that they're not sitting. Okay, so what's sitting? A skater whose buttocks are in full contact with the seat of a chair or a bench. That's sitting, you guys. You learned it here first. (laughs) Okay, stopped. A skater is not making any directional movement with their skates. You think it sounds obvious, but like, let me tell you, when things get going, it's really important to know the difference between all these things. (laughs) Okay, so this will be a good point to pause and take a little break. Give me some time to get some water, but also that we can have a word from our sponsors. And we're back. I hope that you had plenty of time to think about what it means to sit and stand, because here's where it's going to get really exciting we're going to talk about what it means to be skating. Bum, bum, bum. Here's the definition of skating or the direction of travel. A skater's direction of travel, for example, counterclockwise, lateral, or clockwise, is measured by the skates moving relative to a line perpendicular to the inside track boundary. If the skates are moving in the opposite direction, direction of travel is determined by the hips. Straddling is another position that a skater can have on the track. A skater is straddling when they are simultaneously touching the floor on or between the track boundary lines and beyond the track boundary line. Touching the floor beyond the track boundary with only one arm or hand does not render a skater straddling. Straddling skaters are considered out of bounds except where otherwise noted. So let's look at inbounds. Inbounds, out of bounds. I kind of made a little order and I feel like now I'm moving the order around a little bit because it's telling me to see also inbounds so let's just go straight to inbounds okay so inbounds a skater is inbounds if the only points in which they are touching the floor is on or in between the track boundary lines once touching beyond the track boundary a skater is considered to be inbounds once again once all parts of the skater that are touching the floor are on or in between the track boundary lines a skater who touches the floor beyond the track boundary with only one arm or hand is still considered to be inbounds. Okay, so inbounds, there's lines that they make the track with. If you're touching the line, that's still inbounds. Once any part of your body or skate goes beyond that line, you're out of bounds. However, if mostly you're inbounds and only your one hand touches outside of the track boundary line, that's still considered inbounds. Two hands, no. One hand, all right, they give that to you, okay? Now it's important to talk about where you are on the track. So now that we know, like, what the track is, where inbounds are, where out-of-bounds are, like, what's considered up or down or sitting or standing or moving, now we need to look at where you are in relation to everyone else on the track and the track itself. So you have an established position and a relative position. 
So your established position is where a skater is physically, an area of the track where the skater has secured their place. The examples include up, inbounds, down, out of bounds, in play, and out of play. So then, the relative position is a skater's location when inbounds and upright in relation to other skaters involved in the action. Okay, so when there's an action in between skaters, the relative position you have with the other skater is important, okay? So relative position is said to be gained or lost if the said location changes in a way that gives or loses some advantage. For example, one skater is passing another or being knocked down, out of bounds, or out of play. The relative position is only measured in the counterclockwise direction. So let's say I'm the blocker and you're the jammer and my relative position is, oh, I didn't talk about ahead or behind yet. So I can't say this because let's talk about ahead and behind because that's important to relative position. Being ahead means that one thing, and it could be a skater, the line, the pack, one thing is ahead of another thing in relation to the track. It's ahead if it is nearer in the counterclockwise direction than the clockwise direction. This counterclockwise and clockwise direction is really important because roller derby is played in the counterclockwise direction. So that's where you're going. You're ahead if you're nearer in the counterclockwise direction, okay? So then behind would be anything, a skater, a line, a pack is behind in relation to the track if it's nearer in the clockwise direction than the counterclockwise direction. What that means in relative position is that if I'm the blocker and you're the jammer and I am ahead of you, that means that you're further, if we were a clock, I might be at the one position and you might be at the four position. So you're behind me because I'm ahead of you in the counterclockwise direction. But when you come up and pass me, you've now gone ahead of me, okay? So we have things called in play and out of play. In play is when a blocker is inbounds, upright, and within the engagement zone. Jammers who are inbounds and upright are always in play. Now we're gonna talk about the engagement zone in just a minute, but this is really important. Inbounds and upright, that's the blockers. They have to be within an engagement zone. However, jammers, as long as they're inbounds and upright, are always in play. A blocker who is inbounds but positioned outside of the engagement zone is out of play. If no pack is defined, all blockers are out of play. When a jammer is out of bounds, they are out of play. Okay, so the only time a jammer can be out of play is when they are out of bounds. A blocker would be out of play if there is no pack, which we talked about before. That's all the blockers together. Or if they are ahead of or behind the engagement zone. So what is the engagement zone? It is the area in which you're allowed to engage in contact with another skater. So here's what it means to engage. It's any sort of interaction with another skater on the track during the jam. You're only allowed to engage with certain skaters at certain times in certain places. Having a pack is everyone's responsibility and the pack skater is any blocker who is part of a legally defined pack. All right, and they have referees to tell you if there's a pack or no pack. But in addition to the pack, there's something called the engagement zone. So it's the zone in which blockers are in play and may legally engage and be engaged. The engagement zone is 20 feet behind the rearmost pack skater and 20 feet in front of the foremost pack skater. And this would be between the inside and outside track boundaries, okay? Uh, And 20 feet is 6.5. 
one meters for anyone who doesn't calculate in feet. Uh, which I should say 6.1 meters, which would be 20 feet for the one country that does calculate in feet. <laughs> uh, okay, let's see. So that's the engagement zone. So you've got the pack that has to stay within 10 feet of each other, but then the engagement zone extends 20 feet behind and in front of. If there's no pack, what happens then when there is not a group of blockers from both teams skating with 10 feet within 10 feet of each other or when there are two or more equally numbered groups of blockers not skating within 10 feet of each other that means there's no pack okay so at this point we've gotten through a lot of information that's in the glossary and i kind of want to keep this episode fairly short and it looks like it's coming up on maybe close to 25 minutes. So um, this would be part one of the glossary. And then stay tuned for part two where we will get into more of the specifics of once the game begins, scoring points, penalties, various things like that. And again, this is a very basic overview of things found in the glossary. If you want to know more information, of course, you can read about it at WFTDA.com. Or you could stay tuned for the next episode and the subsequent episodes after that where we're just going to like keep on talking about the rules. In the meantime, you can check me out on Instagram at ovaryactor, O-V-A-R-Y-A-C-T-O-R. And there's an underscore in between ovary and actor if that makes a difference. I'm not sure. You can also email me at overreactor at gmail.com again that's spelled o-v-a-r-y-a-c-t-o-r at gmail.com and let me know your derby story i'm always fascinated to learn about people and why they joined roller derby or what brought them to that and their favorite parts of roller derby and if you have any specific questions that you would like answered right away go ahead and send me a little email and Yeah, I'll do my best to answer them as quickly as possible. Okay, well, this concludes episode one of Official Time Out with Overreactor. Thank you so much for listening, and be sure to support your local roller derby league. All right, talk to you later. Bye-bye.